We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. Church. I'm so glad that y'all are here. For anyone who might not know, my name is Melanie Bertolio. Um, I am uh, one of the pastors on staff here. I have been going to this church since January of 2006. Long time I've been at Christian Ministries Church, and I believe that God uh, is moving just as mightily today in CMC as he was when we came. I mean, we came because we saw God doing something here, and we believe that he called us here, and uh, 17 years later, 17, I don't know, I don't know if I did the math right, but I believe that that is still very, very true. Um, I want to get started because uh, we, we've already had so much going on this morning. I mean, I just feel like uh, what pastor just shared with us over offering was powerful. And if we just left after that, you know, we, we, we'd be good. Um, but why settle for just being good when God wants great for us? And so I think there's more, and we're going to be talking specifically about that. Um, Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Hebrews 10.38 says that the just shall live by faith. And those are our two verses this year that we're really hitting hard. Um, because our, our, um, our theme for the year is that the righteous shall live by faith. And if we are the righteous, and we are, I mean, if we're saved, if we have called upon the name of the Lord to save us, then you are the righteous. You may not feel righteous. You may not act righteously all the time. But... Hear me when I say this, you are righteous, and it has nothing to do with anything you've done except to acknowledge that you couldn't do it on your own. And so um, our theme is the righteous shall live by faith, or some of your uh, versions may say the just shall live by faith. The justified, those who are justified in Christ, shall live by faith. So the question then that probably needs to be asked is, how, how well are you doing at that? Are you doing a great job of living by faith every single day? I mean, could, should, do we, do we, could we still learn and grow in that area of our life? I think that uh, even the most faithful person would say, I can still learn and grow in that. So, um, so yesterday, as I was preparing my sermon, I got out Pastor's uh, Vision Sunday sermon uh, back in January. He always does Vision Sunday somewhere in the first week or two of the year and, and sets the vision for us. And I got that, that message out and I listened to that again because I want, I want to stay in unity with what he is saying. And, um, and I got to looking at the sermons. I listened to that sermon, but then I got to looking at a lot of the things that he's preached over the last uh, couple of months, almost two, two and a half uh, months that we've been already hitting this. And, and he's preached about faith. He's preached about personal responsibility, about being established in faith. And the last few weeks, he's preached on the faithfulness of God. And, um, and those are all things that we need. We need to have rooted within us. We need to understand our personal responsibility in growing our faith. Now, God does the, the, 
the heavy lifting when it comes to growing our faith, but we still have to do our part. And, and so you've already received a lot of great teaching. And in that Vision Sunday message, um, he, he really uh, concentrated on a verse, a couple of verses out of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And I want us to look at those. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to start in the second half of verse 3, so uh, 3b, if you will. Um, but it says, starting in the second half of verse 3 of 1 Timothy 1, stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So Paul is talking to Timothy. He's instructing Timothy on how to instruct the people that have been entrusted to Timothy's pastoral care. And, and he's saying, listen, there are people there who are teaching things that are contrary to the truth. And they are, are wasting their time in talking about myths. A myth is a fable or it's, a, it's something that, that's basis, it has no basis in truth. Okay, so um, they are wasting their time talking about myths and spiritual pedigrees, which is just self-righteousness that a person would have based on their um, ancestry. So it's that person that's going, well, you know, I know what I'm talking about. My grandpa was a, a pastor. I mean, I have heard that more times in my life than I care to even think about and that, that has nothing to do with whether or not what's coming out of your mouth is true and biblical. Uh, I see discussions all the time on social media, and they fall into this category um, of arguing about things that have no basis in truth. Or, and then they, they think that the reason that their argument is valid is because of their spiritual pedigree. Um, and you know, if, you, if you've seen these, and I've seen them this week, this is, this is a little bit of what's prompted me to, to do this, is I've seen it this week, and I know who to look for on my list of a thousand friends, like I have a thousand friends, but you know, um, but, but you see people arguing, um, and you know that those people, they don't pick up the Bible, they probably couldn't even tell you the last time they picked up the Bible and read it. And they are arguing with people who haven't picked up the Bible. Don't, I mean, they say they're Christians, but they don't pick up the Bible. They don't research and study so that they can know that, that their response to someone's ungodly post or incorrect post. or They don't read and study to know that what they are saying is the truth. And most of the time, these arguments are over very controversial things within the church or they're over un, really unpopular things that the Bible says. And, and these people have, have a sure grasp of right and wrong on issues that even theologians can't agree on. But they get on Facebook and they argue and they fuss and before it's said and done, you've got 50 people in this thread of conversations and they're all arguing and fussing with one another. And, 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 and none of it's worth reading. None of it's worth fighting over. But here's what they're doing. They are speculating. They're speculating. And their speculations are based on myths. Or I like to call it this. Their personal meme theology. Because that's where a lot of people get what they believe. 
that, that, that blows my mind. But the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people out there who get their theology from Facebook and Instagram memes. And man, if it sounds inspirational, they'll just hit repost because that's good. Oh, that's true. And they have no idea if it's good or true. See, Facebook and Instagram have so thoughtfully and compassionately developed these algorithms that they use. And based upon this person's likes and shares, they decide what to show them. So Facebook and Instagram and, and all the other social media platforms are promoting theology. And, and you can see by that that we, we have a very shallow, very confused, hypocritical, intellectually lazy, presumptuous, unread, unstudied culture of so-called Christians. Now you think that through. There's, there's a lot of people in this world calling themselves Christians, and you can't tell it by the way they live. And you certainly can't tell it by looking at their social media because it'll be a post about Jesus and then it'll be a post about that's full of curse words and, and about very ungodly things. But people read this stuff, they stand on it, they, re, they share it, they promote it, and they don't have any idea if it's true. They're speculating about the truth. And they're speculating based on fiction and feelings and spiritual pedigrees. Well, I know that's true because my grandpa was a pastor and I, I know that, you know, he, you know, he, he used to say the Lord works in mysterious ways. Well, find that one in the Bible for me. Um, <laughs> if you say that, don't. Just don't. Because God has revealed the mysteries to us. I'm not saying we understand everything because that takes time. But God isn't trying to keep anything from us. And people, when they say, oh, God works in mysterious ways, the idea that they're trying to promote is that you can't figure him out and you don't know. So what the word is telling us is that is meaningless. It, it doesn't just call it speculation. It calls it meaningless speculation. Boasting because of a spiritual pedigree and it says that you are wasting your time. And if you're promoting it to others, you're wasting theirs too. But here's the deal. We can read it in the Bible, so we know this has been going on for a long time. It's not Facebook and Instagram that created this idea of people speculating and people wasting their time in meaningless speculations. It's been going on for 2,000 years and probably longer. But... But I want to I hit the, the last half of, or the very last sentence in that passage in, in verse 4. It says, these things only lead to meaningless speculation which don't help people live a life of faith in God. Here's the deal. If we are learning and we're trying to figure out how to live a life of greater faith, wherever your faith level is, if you're way down here, that's okay. Hopefully, you'll be somewhere in here by the end of the year. If you're way up here, I mean, you got to, still got a long way to go. We've all, we're all at different places in our walk with the Lord. 
But the idea when we are, our, our, our vision is to live by faith is that by the end of this year, hopefully, you will be living in a greater faith than you were at the beginning of the year. Hopefully, you will be operating in that faith differently. Maybe you'll begin to see some results from your prayer life that you didn't have before. Maybe you'll begin to, to, to recognize things that really aren't true when you see them because your faith has grown and, and the, the Spirit of God within you is now telling you, don't believe what that meme says. It's not true. It sounds wonderful, but there's nothing true about it. Maybe by the end of the year, we'll put, quit putting our faith in things that are as ungodly as they can possibly be and we'll begin to, to count on the word of the living God that is alive and powerful and available to us, maybe we will start using that as the plumb line for what's true. So we are learning to live by faith. And I want to do it in a way that helps me. And here's what I know. First Timothy ver, uh, chapter 1 verse 4 tells me that meaningless speculation based on myths and spiritual pedigrees don't help me. So my question is this, what will? What will help me? I mean, I, I love being told what not to do. But more than I want to be told what not to do, please, somebody tell me what I should do. And so today I want to talk about three things that I think are going to help us. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. The good news about, about Christ, here's what it says. Faith comes when we hear the good news about Christ. And I've been spending some time this week contemplating the good news about Christ. See, see, the world is going to tell you there's no good news about Christ. Okay, so, so let's just say if you're right, you get to go to heaven when you die. But you still have to live hell on earth while you're here. That's not good news to me. See, there is good news about Christ, and it goes beyond just that you don't have to go to hell when you die. The good news that we first learn is this, that Jesus came to the earth as a man to save us. He took our punishment uh, for our sins, and he died on the cross, and, and he was the perfect blood sacrifice. And he died in our place, and then he rose again. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has given us victory over death, hell, and the grave. That is good news. Amen? Amen. And there's a lot of people who know that. A lot of people, a lot of cultural Christian people know that truth. That's what makes them a Christian. They, they actually got that revelation. And you know, here's the thing. That is where it begins. And so I'm grateful for people who have that revelation. Even if there's no other evidence in their life that they're a, they're a Christian. They got that revelation. They got, they've met the first criteria, and that's the starting point. So if you've been living life like that, here's good news. Praise God you've actually had a revelation of, from God. 
about who Jesus is. But what I want you to know is there's more for you. There is more than that. See, Pastor and Chapman and I, we are very passionate about spreading the good news of Jesus for salvation. That is the, the most important thing for every person in this room. But we're also very passionate about you wanting to know that with faith in Christ, there's more. There is more for you. Pastor has pointed out many times over the years, and, and, and I did a sermon years ago that, that was all about there's more, you know, the whole infomercial, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Um, there is more. And we need to re be reminded of that on a regular basis. But we've got to understand that the more doesn't come based on your need. It comes based on your faith. And, and Pastor taught this a few weeks ago, but God does, is not moved by your need. If God were moved by need, there would be no sickness, no disease, no heartache, no crying. There would be no death if God was moved by need. But the fact of the matter is God is moved by faith. If God were moved by need, we'd really still be in the garden because every time something bad would happen, he would, he would come in and save us. There wouldn't be any hunger in the world. But God's not moved by our need. If God stepped in every single time someone had a need, he would be violating his own covenant that he made with Adam. And that covenant stands today. He gave dominion over the earth to man. Now man messed it up and man turned it over to Satan. And Satan is now the God, the little G God of this world. But thank the Lord that he made a way that he could step in. But it requires us. See, we, he, he was breaking his own rules if he steps in without being asked to step in. So in order for him to do that, we've got to ask him. We've got to say, God, I give you permission. That sounds heretical to so many people is that we're giving God permission to do something. But he tells us that we have to pray and ask in faith for him to step in. Otherwise, he's violating his own rules. But, but he can legally step in without breaking his rules when we invite him into our situation. And so there are a lot of people who understand praying. Praying. A lot of people pray. And God will respond to a prayer of faith. I just said two different things. I don't know if you got that or not. A lot of people pray, but not everybody prays a prayer of faith. A lot of people recite the Lord's Prayer or, or uh, Psalm 23 when something goes wrong. And I mean, have you heard people do that? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Does that sound like a faith-filled prayer? Does that sound like a faith-filled prayer? There are people who pray, they say the words, and then there are people who pray and believe the words. That's the prayer of faith. So if faith comes from hearing the good news of Jesus, and we know that we shouldn't be wasting our time with, with meaningless speculations, how do we grow our faith? I want to give you three components of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we just read, faith comes from hearing the good news about Christ. 
there are three components of hearing of, of, the, of the good news of Jesus Christ that I want to concentrate on today. And I believe if you will just take your life and start concentrating and thinking on and meditating on these three things, and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture and we're going to have to go super fast. But um, if you will just hone in on these three things, it'll change you forever. Three things we're going to be talking about. The word, the name, and the blood. The word, the name, and the blood. And I'm just telling you right now, if you will just get a hold of, uh, of that good news, the word, the name, the blood, it will change you. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you live. Your mind will become transformed. You will begin to have the mind of Christ if you can get a hold of these three things. The first thing I want to talk about is the word. I read a quote this week. I've been on spring break and I had all kinds of plans for spring break, but I think God had some different plans for me. And I have done so much reading and studying this week. And I was reading this book about praise and worship. And, and I uh, just was so caught up with, because um, it's, it's just teaching me about, about what the Word says, specifically about, about praise, about worship, about thanksgiving. But there was a quote in this book, and it said this. It said, God means as much to you as His Word means to you no more and no less now you think about that God means as much to you as his word means to you and I believe that's true I believe that lines up with the word and so how much time have you given to the word this week so don't 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 go telling people how much God means to you without first considering how much time have you given to his word this week? In John 1, 1, we read that Jesus is the word. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus Christ came as the living word. He is the word of God on paper. He is that in the flesh. And everything that he is can be traced back to that word. And the point is this, that he... He can't be separated from the Word. But a lot of people think, oh, well, then that means I can just talk to Jesus and I'll get everything I need. The only problem is you don't have any frame of reference. So you might say, and I've heard this said by people that I loved very much, but they're saying that God's told them, given them permission to do something that God has most definitely not given them permission to do. You know why? Because it is in direct contradiction to what his word says. And Jesus doesn't contradict the word, and the word doesn't contradict Jesus. So if you're going to tell me that Jesus spoke to you and, and told you to do something that the word says is absolutely not something you should be doing, then I'm going to tell you, you're lying. You didn't hear from God. You may think you did, but you most certainly did not. So Jesus and the Word always agree, always agree. 
And, 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 and Jesus himself said in Matthew 4, verse 4, he says, uh, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That Bible that sits on your coffee table is the inspired word of God, and you need to be in it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Therefore, we never stop thanking God when you received his message from us. You didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. So that word, okay, the word continues is a present tense verb. I'm an English teacher. I like, I like breaking things down. That's present tense. It will always be present tense. See, we don't get to go in and change it. It's still true that the word continues to work in you who believe. So if you're saying that your faith is way down here, that may not be true. The word may not be working in you, but it can, and we want it to, and we want to help you get to that place where it does. There are two terms that are translated as word in the Bible. One is logos and the other is rhema. And uh, both of them matter because when you get into word of faith churches, they like to just sit on the rhema word, but the fact is that they both matter. Um, The logos is the um, entire counsel of God written in the scriptures, okay? That's the logos, all right? The rhema word is the spoken word of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And it will only and always confirm what is in the written word of God. It will never say anything that contradicts that. And so do I want a a rhema word? Oh, you bet I do. And I'm looking for it every day and expecting it and believing God for it. But it's all going to be based on the entire counsel of God that is in the written word of God of God. Um, the rhema word of God is, is when God takes a logos word and reveals it to us. See, I could, there's a lot of things I read in the Bible that when I read it, I don't understand it. I'm just being honest. But the rhema word is what comes when I'm reading something that I've read a hundred times and never did understand it. And suddenly God reveals that to me. That is a rhema word. And the rhema word is, of God is what moves us from being filled with the spirit of God to be a, being able to move in the power of the spirit of God. Because a lot of us have been filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. But if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and God and the Holy Spirit of God is in you, but you're not seeing you're not moving in power and operating in power in your life, then maybe you need to dive into the word. Just quit waiting for that power to fall on you. And allow the word of God, the Logos word, to get inside of you. And then let God reveal that through a rhema word of God. And it will change your life. See, the word of God does a lot of things in our our, our lives. It heals us. It delivers us. It gives new birth, new life. It reveals truth and gives understanding. It nourishes us. 
It cleanses us. It gives us victory. And it is an offensive weapon that we use in spiritual warfare. And here's what I can tell you is if you don't know the word of God, then in every area that you are fighting spiritual warfare, you're just doing this. See, I don't want to fight that way. I want to swing. I mean, if something's coming at me, I'm coming back at it just as hard as it's coming at me. That's what having the rhema word of God in you because of a knowledge of the logos word of God will do. See, if you're tired of just having the Holy Spirit but not moving in power because he's in you, then maybe you need to take to the word of God. That's what God wants for us. When, when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil, it says the Holy Spirit took him there. But he went in there, and it tells us that he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. Then he went to battle with the devil. And, and we all, maybe you don't know this. I'm not going to say we all know because we just don't. But he went to battle with the devil for 40 days. And every single time the devil came out of him, what did he come back at him with? The word of God. The word of God. And here's what's super cool is he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, but he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only difference is he went in there and he went to battle swinging that sword and using as an offensive weapon the word of God. So what I'm telling you is if you are looking for the good news of Jesus. See, if you want faith to be built in you, faith comes from hearing, hearing the good news about Christ. If you want to know some good news about Christ, read your Bible. Get in the Word. You have to. You'll never, ever, ever, ever live differently if you don't. Praise God, we'll see you in heaven. But you're going to be living a life of hell on earth if you don't get in the Word. The second thing I want to talk about is the name. The good news of Jesus Christ that Paul mentions in Romans 10 actually contains a key component of that good news, and that's the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus is more than just a name. It represents who he is, and it represents, more importantly, the authority that he has and that we now have because of him. Peter was an impulsive guy, and ambitious, and he followed Jesus on the earth, being very impulsive and ambitious. And he told Jesus in John 13 that he was willing to die for him. And Jesus said, listen, dude, you're going to deny me three times by morning. And he did. And he felt terrible about it. He did. But just, I mean, you just have to turn your, about that many pages in the Bible. Jesus dies, comes back, ascends into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit comes down. 
And in the book of Acts, Peter is a very different man than he's been leading up to that point. And here's what I'm telling you. I praise God for that because that means I can be different. That means I can be... I've, I've told many of you a lot of my stories. I was reckless and ambitious and, 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 and all kinds of that stuff. Very impulsive. But God has done a work in me over that sort of thing. And, and with Peter... Um, he went from being reckless and, and impulsive to being confident and steady and sure. What was he confident and steady and sure in? The authority that he now had because of Jesus Christ. In Acts 3, he, he's coming up to the temple and uh, there's a man lying there who's been lame since he was born. And this man asked him for some money, him, him and John. And in verse 4... Peter and John look at him intently, and Peter says, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. And Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus, Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And the, the lame man, Peter uh, took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. And then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Here's what I'm telling you. People can walk, walk up to you hurting and broken and walk away from you walking and leaping and praising God if you understand the authority that you have in the name of Jesus Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2.9 says, God elevated uh, Jesus, it's talking about Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I'm telling you is there is power in that name and we ought to be operating in the power of the name of Jesus. But you can't do it if you don't even know that you have an authority that, that, that has been imputed to you through Christ and what he did on the cross. There is healing in the name of Jesus. In Acts 3.16, through faith in the name of Jesus, a man was healed. And you know how crippled... It's talking about the, the, the man at the gate, beautiful. He says, you know how crippled he was. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. What I'm telling you today is you may have walked in with some sort of ailment. You might have walked in with heartache. God can heal you today. You do not have to walk out the same way you walked in. Mark 16, 17 says, These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. And, and, and let me just say this. This is Mel's words. But those who have faith. Those who live by faith, these miraculous signs will, will, will accompany you. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. If you came in sick today, don't you leave until some, you come up here and you let someone put their hands on you, someone filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and let them... Pray for you the prayer of faith that will heal you. Demons are subject to the name of Jesus. You know, when I was a kid, I was so afraid of, of anything, anytime just the topic of demons or anything demonic came up, I was afraid of it. 
But I don't, have, I don't live like that anymore. In Luke 10, 17, it says, when the 72 disciples returned, which is, is a group that were sent out to, to tell the good news and to heal the sick, and, and it says, when they returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Demons have to flee at the name of Jesus. At faith in the name of Jesus. Demons must flee. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. In Acts 4 verse 12 it says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And here's what I'm telling you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Tim and, and Ashley uh, do such a great illustration of the authority of God, uh, uh, the, the authority that we operate in based off of what Jesus has done for us. And it, it, it's the idea of you know going into a store where they don't know you at all, but they know someone else has an account there. And you go in and I, I might say, I'm going in and I'm buying, can you add this to Ashley's account? You know why? I'm operating under Ashley's authority. And when we go to God and we ask for healing, we're asking for it on be, under the authority. We're calling on the account of Jesus and what he did for us, what has already been paid for. And we have every right to ask for salvation, we have every right to ask for healing. We have every right to tell demons they must flee in Jesus' name. And I encourage you, maybe, maybe you're in the Word, but you're not focused in on the name of Jesus and what that represents in your life. I'm encouraging you to, to really, really focus in on that. And the last thing I want to talk about is the blood. The blood does a lot of things for us. And, and let me just say this. The word, the name, the blood, every single one of these. I mean, I, I, these are, are month-long studies. I, I picked three really big things. So there's a lot. I'm not going to be able to cover everything on each of these. But I want you to know these are the things that you ought to be looking into, that you ought to be studying, that you ought to be asking God for revelation on. And, and so the blood of Jesus cleanses us. In 1 John uh, 1, 7, it says, If we are living in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us. It cleanses us. See, it doesn't matter what you've done. There is nothing too great for the blood of Jesus to satisfy. Everything, I mean, you're, you're actually, did you know if you think there's something you've done that God can't do anything about, that's, you're in pride? I mean, you're in pride because you're just not that, you're just not that great. You can't do something so great that even God himself couldn't forgive it and that the blood of Jesus couldn't wash clean. So if you're, if you're saying that, if you're known for saying that, stop it and repent of the pride that it takes to make that statement and then begin to allow yourself to acknowledge that that blood has washed you clean. The second thing the blood does is it purifies our consciences and reconciles us back to God. And in Hebrews 10, 19, it says, so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place 
because of the blood of Jesus. See, I don't have to creep in. I don't have to. I can boldly come in. I don't want my children to have to, to be afraid to approach me. I'm not saying they haven't been at, at times because I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not. But God is a perfect parent. And we don't have to feel that way when we go to him. It says that we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. See, the tabernacle had three parts. It had the, the outer court, then it had the, the middle court, and then it had the inner court, which was the holy of holies. And God's saying, I don't just want you to come in. Come, I'm not just letting you into the living room and you can hang out out there. He said, I'm allowing you into the inner sanctum of my presence. In Ephesians 2, verse 13, it says, You've been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him. In what way? Through the blood of Christ. When we sin, our conscience gets weighed down by guilt, and that impacts our faith. Why? Because it, it, it causes us to steer clear of God. It causes us to not want to pick up that Bible. Why? Because the Bible is a mirror. That word of God is a mirror that shows you what you look like. And, and, we, and it gives you, shows you your true reflection. See, we can put on all kinds of airs for people, but the Bible shows us our true reflection. And so when we get weighed down by guilt and we avoid the mirror, it's kind of like when you know you're putting on a little bit of weight and you avoid the mirror. And then the next time you finally get up the gumption to either look in the mirror or get on the scales, it's far worse than you thought it would be. Well, it's the same idea with God. But the blood of Jesus actually mediates that for us. And we don't have to, to, to be weighed down by guilt. We can come into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum of God's presence and the blood of Jesus is what allows us to do that. In Hebrews 9, um, it says, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. That's powerful. The blood of Jesus speaks. In Hebrews 12, 24, it says, You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. See, God, in the Old Testament, they had to use the, the, the blood of animal sacrifices. In the New Testament, the blood of Jesus satisfies that, and it speaks a better word than the blood of Cain or the blood of Abel, which is crying out for vengeance, it says. See, Jesus' blood speaks forgiveness and grace and love. The blood of Abel is crying out for vengeance, and we are living under the blood of Jesus. And it speaks to God on our behalf, saying that the blood of the new covenant is now enacted on our behalf. And God 
has no choice because it's his own covenant that he's made with us. And his blessings then are poured out on believers, not because we deserve it, but because of the blood. Um, when Jesus went to, to uh, the cross to die, he said, this is my blood of the covenant. We live under a new covenant, and it is a covenant of blood. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the good news about Christ. I heard someone, uh, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and they were talking about that verse. And some of your Bibles say, faith comes from hearing and hearing, and it has a comma right there. Faith comes from hearing, comma, and hearing from the Word of God. And they were pointing out that there was no punctuation there in the original text. And you think about that. Faith comes from hearing and hearing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing, hearing it over and over and over and over, the good news of Jesus Christ. So for our faith to grow, we have to understand and recognize the good news about Christ. And that good news is wrapped up in the word. That good news is wrapped up in the name. And that good news is wrapped up in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you study those th three things, if you begin to focus on those three things with your life, I'm telling you, it will change your life. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.